Hello, I'm Mike Patra, and I'm the host of the Hoopball DFS Today podcast. Come join us as we go game by game, breaking down our top plays, fades, values, pivots, and talk overall strategy for both tournaments and cash games. And the best part, we're doing this seven days a week. So come check us out. That's Hoopball DFS Today. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Mike Patria for any updates, listener contests, and DFS information. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We kind of ran out of time to do a playoff league breakdown in a more comprehensive fashion, but we'll get into it a little bit on today's podcast. And I think we'll, more more than anything, we'll just do sort of a hypothetical walkthrough of how you prep for a playoff league if you're going to be in one, because it all, it all happens so damn fast. You know, there are still games happening today. So technically, you know, the play-in stuff doesn't start until the end of the weekend, beginning of next week, and then the real playoff games don't get started until, I think, Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. But it might even be later than that. I don't know. Because we're all talking about the playoffs starting, and then, uh, you know, you got you got a play-in game. You might even have two play-in games. I don't know how you jam that all in. I'm sure everybody's going to be off tomorrow. I don't think that's going to be anything. So Sunday... And then what? Would they have the second play-in game on Tuesday if they needed both of them? I actually don't know. I probably should have looked that up before starting the podcast today. But I didn't, so you're stuck with it. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. It's Friday, rumbling on towards the weekend. This is your weekend edition of the podcast. We'll carry you along into Monday when we come on back and start sort of a, a, new, a new time on the show. It's, uh, it's weird, you know? It, we've been... Plodding along here, we had these this play-in, we had these seeding games. We'll have the play-in stuff, and it's been it's been a fun adventure. Um, but then the NBA hit us with an article yesterday about the possibility that next season might not start until February, as the league considers a longer layoff and what that might do in terms of allowing people back into the arena. So they're, uh, and reasonably so, they're thinking about ticket revenue. And if if they believe that starting in February instead of December is going to buy them two extra months of people in the arena, then it makes a lot of sense. Starting in February, by the way, I'm Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Most of you guys know that already. But just in case there's a, a new, a single lone new listener out there, uh, welcome to the show. Happy to have you. Always happy to have everybody here on this pod listening in. Fantasy NBA Today is a HoopBall presentation, hoop-ball.com, the website, at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter. By the way, HoopBall on Instagram, continuing to grow. Check that out. It's Instagram. Uh, I think, how do the kids say it these days? It's at HoopBallOfficial on Instagram, at HoopBallOfficial. Somehow, wow, look at that thing. That's growing fast. Growing like a weed over there on Instagram. HoopBallOfficial is the Instagram page. Lots of cool stuff coming out from a uh, squad of guys that are working on that that page, uh, the Instagram stuff and what's going on over there. I, I, I have to admit, I need to learn the lingo. I need to learn. I just, I need to learn the right way to talk about it. I don't even know the right way to talk about this stuff. 
I think you can say you're gramming things, right? I'm just, I'm so old when it comes to non-Twitter social media. It's, it's frankly embarrassing. But anyway, check that out. Hoopball official on Instagram. We're continuing to grow that page. And uh, let's, let's, let's talk about what we were talking about before. So we got this note. <laughs> we all did collectively. We got this note. Um, Woj kind of hinted at it. And then there was uh, a report from inside the bubble claiming that the uh, Players Association and Michelle Roberts had been sort of meeting with them in groups, and what they were talking about was a couple of things. Number one, wanting a longer layoff after the playoffs end, which I sort of get for a very small handful of teams, right? Like, there's only going to be two teams playing in the month of October. There's only going to be four teams playing from mid-September on. So the other 26 teams at least, we'll have at least, I should say, uh, half of September, October, November, probably at least part of December, would have at least two and a half to three months off before next season started. So it's not like it would have been a really quick a really quick break for most of these ball clubs. And you could dial it back even two weeks further and say only eight teams are playing uh, basically into September. No, that's not right. Into the middle of September. So then they get... They get the full three months off. 16 teams by the beginning of the month. They get three and a half months off. Some teams haven't played since March still. Eight teams didn't play. So this is where you get into some some weird stuff, right? Like they're the eight worst teams in the NBA this year haven't played since March. And now you're talking about maybe not playing until February. Those teams are going to have a calendar year off. Not great. Not great. The teams that play into the finals, be they the Raptors, the Bucks, the Lakers, the Clippers, whoever the heck makes it that far, I think will be thrilled about this. You're going to have a hand, a very small handful of teams that are like, yes, an extra couple of weeks, some extra month, extra month and a half to get right. Because the teams that do play into the finals, we're going to be looking at a very quick turnaround. Basically the rest of October and November. So like a month and a half, and if they did any training camp at all, I'm betting they just would skip it. And free agency's in there, so what do you got? A couple of weeks to work in new players? It makes a lot of sense to push it back a little bit. But from a... Well, let's continue to look at it from the, the NBA's standpoint. The NBA's standpoint is, if you start a season in December, the way things look right now, and I try not to talk too much about the, the politics of COVID. But the way things look right now, we have biffed this. As a country, we have taken a dump all over the response to this pandemic. The selfishness has been overwhelming. And so, when you look at December, which is four months away, there's a possibility we get this thing under control by then, to the point where maybe you could have, like, a socially distanced arena I believe there was, I don't remember, I might have been Korea. I apologize, I'm, I'm probably getting the country wrong, but I believe it was a baseball game in Korea. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. It might have been a soccer match somewhere else. But I definitely, I definitely saw stands where there were people. Families could sit together. I think the assumption was a family that had been sort of quarantining together could then go and sit three, four, whatever seats in a row in a spot. And then there would just have to be like five open seats on both sides of these people. It became a socially distanced outdoor stadium. It's a little bit different 
when you're inside an NBA arena. So as they're looking at December, they're like, okay, well, you know, if we can socially distance this, it's going to have to be really far apart. Lots of the studies to this point have said it's a lot harder to transmit this virus outside than it is inside. The air just gets diluted when you're outside. You have fresh air blowing through, so viral particles, droplets, whatever, I don't, they don't evaporate, but they drop to the deck, they get washed in, viral load, I'm sure you guys all heard about that. When you're indoors, and it's just sort of adding to the same air, the transmission is faster, it's easier, there's more virus that can't get just sort of swept away in an infinite amount of clean air around it, which is the case outside. So NBA owners and players, this is both, they both want to be playing in a home arena. They want home court, they want fans going bananas around them. The owners obviously want the revenue. The players then, as sort of a a trickling effect, they definitely want the revenue going to the teams because that's what allows for bigger contracts. That's what allows for the higher salary cap, which is a discussion in and of itself. But look, it's a sport that has a salary cap. So you want it to be, as a player, you want it to be as high as humanly possible. You want to have that leverage in collective bargaining to say, look, there's going to be money coming in hand over fist. And even in a best case scenario by December... I guess there's the there's the prospect that there might be a vaccine just sort of beginning to roll out by November, December, but you can best bet 100 million doses of them won't have been given out by then. It's going to take some time to get that distributed to anyone in the states that actually will take it. Please get it. Um, so a best-case scenario by that point is probably a very distanced arena. Best case scenario, like 25% capacity is probably what you're looking at there. You're going to have to have, and maybe it gets a little bit higher than that if you're only selling to, you know, groups of four or more. Maybe you put four people together and then you just, you give them a whole bunch of space as opposed to like one person and then a bunch of space and then one person and then a bunch of space. That's a hard way to rack up numbers. What does operating at 25% capacity do? Well, um... You know, it's not like you can just jam them into a quarter of the arena. It has to be spaced out across the whole thing. So you have to staff the arena almost like it's a normal game with, you know, presumably a lot of the, the restaurants and shops shut down. But in terms of things like security guards, ushers, whatever, the whole arena is going to have to be open for this 25% number. So then the NBA is like, all right, well, what if we push it back a couple of months? What if it's February? I don't personally know how big of a difference it's going to make between December and February, but presumably it won't get worse, I think is the thought for them. They're like, look, if we wait two months, if we put an extra 60 days under our belt, and let's say that there are, let's say there are two vaccines being distributed by December or January. You give yourself an extra month or two to just have people get them, and you drive the numbers down, you create some partial immunity in the in the community it won't it won't be for everyone obviously because not everybody's going to get the the vaccine and uh, it might not work for everybody as well another situation to, to monitor on these things but for the nba they're like look in february there's a slightly greater chance we could open up our home arenas for partial capacity and i think really what you're looking for at that point 
if you're the NBA, is maybe you play, you might play in empty home arenas in February or December. But they're looking now from sort of the reverse chronological angle of this. If you start the season in December and you put a one- or two-week rush on it, meaning you play all 82 games, but you wipe out a couple of rest days for each team, uh, you go back to the schedule from like three or four years ago before they spaced it out by an extra week. If you start, normally, remember, the season starts in October, so it ends in April. If you started the season in December, two months later, it would end roughly two months later in June. And if you shave a week off of that, maybe you get it to early June instead of the middle of the month. There has been discussion that by June of next year is probably around the time that things go back more towards normal. Meaning, at that point, you'll have about a half year of a vaccine and maybe more and a little bit less than that of perhaps a second or third potential treatment option, uh, different ways of taking care of people. By that point, you figure... Even if the antibodies don't last forever, there's some folks that are going to develop immunity. There's going to be enough people that have had it. All that stuff gets rolled together into a, okay, this is how many this is how many people will have been exposed to it or have been protected from it, where we can now start to kind of go back to normal. I don't know if anything's ever going to be completely normal again, but obviously we're working towards that point. And if that's June, then in the December start model, that's the last month of the season. So they're, they're transitioning towards a full arena with, what, four weeks to go? If that? So that's the other half of it, is if they start in February, the season ends now. Today. Well, two days ago, probably. They like to end on Wednesdays. But the season would probably have ended two days ago. If they start in February, like... You just do the math from October to February, four months later, from April to August, four months later. They normally start mid-October. They might say mid-February. We're going mid-February to mid-August, and we're just going to end at the same time we ended this year, 2020. We'll just do a carbon copy in 2021, hopefully without a, uh, an Orlando bubble needed. We'll roll into the playoffs just the way we did this year. And then every year following they'll start to move that start date earlier. I don't think they'll ever get it all the way to early December. That's asking too much. But I would guess, and we, we played this game before, a couple months ago, when, when the news came out that they were trying to start in December next year, we said, okay, well, how do we get to this point where the NBA goes back to the old schedule? It's going to take some time. Starting in December already created probably a one- to two-year path back to starting in October. Starting in February, if we start the next season, and by the way, I love the idea of having a season with just one year attached to it. It's not the 2020-2021 it's not the 2020-2021 season. It would just be the 2021 season. That would be a fun thing to not have to say two years, as you just heard when I barfed all over it the first time. But then the following season, what do they do? Do they, do they try the model they were going to try this year and start it December 2021? It's asking a lot. It's asking a lot. One of the reasons that I think they were comfortable trying to get fired back up by December this year was because teams had had a four-month break already. When everybody plays until August, and then you're trying to start everybody back up in December, it's asking a lot. And everybody playing 82 games straight up to August instead of eight for a lot of these teams. It's asking a lot. 
So you're probably looking, if I had to just sort of hypothesize on this, you're probably looking at a an early January start of the following season, the 2022 campaign. Then maybe you push it to November, early December, late November, 20. Then it'll be the 2022-23 season, because you're back into two years in the name of it. And by the 23-24 season, you're probably back to normal. That's a long road back. But that might be what we're looking at at this point. And for those of us here at HoopBall who really want a damn regular season fantasy something to happen again, oh, that's a kick in the nads. That'd be 11 months, basically, without a game that really matters for full season fantasy enthusiasts. That is, that is crushing for someone who hosts a full-season fantasy podcast. Don't worry, we'll find other stuff to talk about. We always do. But at least we've got the DFS and gambling shows here at HoopBall to occupy you whilst you wait. And with that in mind, we do have a game that's getting started first thing this morning, uh, Denver-Toronto. Denver's a one-and-a-half-point favorite, but who cares? <laughs> this game means nothing. All of the games today mean nothing. I can't, I can't fathom how this turned out that way. Like, how could they have looked at that and thought, let's put all of the teams racing for the Western Conference playoff spot. Let's put their last game on the Thursday things are ending and not the Friday. Whoops. That was an oversight. The Blazers, the Grizzlies, the Suns, the Spurs all played yesterday. So it's all locked up. Blazers are the eight seed. Grizzlies are the nine seed. Suns eliminated by technicality, basically, because they had the poorer winning percentage during the regular season. The Grizzlies were able to stay ahead of them, despite both teams being 34 and 39. Spurs played uh, not enough games. They were 32 and 39, so they finished a a full game back. Kings finally won a couple when they stopped mattering, and the Pelicans. So as wrong as I was on Yusuf Nurkic and the Blazers being good enough to overcome the fact that half of their team was either out or coming back from injury, I was very right that the Pelicans were vastly overrated coming into this bubble. That was weird, man, right? Like, we all saw we all saw the Grizzlies slump coming, and that was about it. I think a lot of folks were on the Blazers thing, and I was like, well, wait a minute. These guys, you know, Nurk and Collins haven't played in front. Well, Nurk was fine, so that was where that one fell apart for me. But... Nobody had the Suns winning all eight. Nobody. I don't think many people had the Spurs competing the way they did. I thought the Kings would play better than they did. And then I think the Pels, you know, again, that was really the one out of all of them where I was like, yeah, this team's not. They're not good. They're not good. So anyway, we've got the uh, we got the matchups. Lakers will wait on the winner of Blazers-Grizzlies one or two game situation. Clippers-Mavs, Nuggets-Jazz, Thunder-Rockets. That's the first round matchups in the West. The Eastern Conference is Bucks and Magic, Raptors, Nets, Celtics, Sixers, and the Heat and Pacers are currently tied in the 4-5 matchup. But guess what? Because there's no home court, it doesn't matter. Indiana's playing today against Miami, and you can bet those two teams are not going to be showing their hand in this ballgame. This could be a weird one. wonder if anybody's going to play any defense. They might just kick it for a game. Anyway, Denver-Toronto, Denver by one and a half points right now based on who's out for the Raptors. Total of 222, live in-game betting only. Miami-Indiana, same story. Clippers-Thunder. Clippers are a six-point favorite, but who the hell cares? Who cares? 
Thunder and Rockets are tied. Uh, I don't think anyone's moving anywhere, right? If the Thunder lose, they uh, switch to the five seed. They'd be tied with the Jazz. I don't think they'd fall behind them, though. I think everything is set. There's all these weird little tiebreakers. I I would expect OKC to tank this game. I would expect the Clippers to tank this game. Philly and Houston, the only team on the board today that I see caring at all about this game is Philadelphia, and only because... I think they want to feel something good going into the playoffs. But you could maybe make the same argument about Houston. I, it doesn't matter, though. It doesn't. It really doesn't matter. Things are all settled in. Um, that That's the one thing I don't know about. If the Thunder and the Rockets lose, then the Thunder, Rockets, and Jazz all end the season at 44 and 28. There's probably some sort of weird tiebreaker thing going on that I had not uh, figured out yet. And for that reason, I think, uh, I think you probably want to leave this stuff alone. They, um, this is all live in-game betting for me. If we're looking at the betting side, on the fantasy side, you just need to make sure you're using up whatever games you can. There are no great options on the board today. Really, it's it's ugly. Um, you just got to make sure you use up all your games if you're in a fantasy roto thing. Drop as many guys as you have to. Pick up as many guys as you can. Just use up all the games possible. The in-game betting I will be tweeting about at Dan Bespris if I see anything that I really like. And I hope you'll join me for those bets over with our buddies at mybookie.ag. I am having an absolute wingding betting on games all day long. Mid-game stuff. That's the way to go right now. You're betting the full game. You're losing your mind outside of a couple of things. Because there were actual motivational angles up until yesterday. Losing your mind. There, there, like there was a big piece of NBA news today that I haven't even mentioned yet, and the re- the reason given for that news was that the season ended. There's still games today. Nobody's paying attention to these things. Nobody. Nah, ridiculous. Nah, ridiculous. That news, by the way, was the firing of Jim Boylan. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I wanted to, again, mention to please use the promo code HOOPBALL when you sign up for your account at mybookie.ag. They've got... I'm having so much fun with this stuff. And we'll do it in the playoffs, too. We're going to bet full games once again once we hit the playoffs on NBA. We'll also do in-game stuff. Uh, Our guys over at HoopBallGaming on Twitter are doing an incredible job. Ira won all but one of his NHL wagers yesterday. I think he went 3-1 and in hockey. Devin went a perfect 7-0 and in baseball yesterday. That's incredible. Baseball's hard, man. Baseball, I, like, dude, that's crazy. Troy's already got his picks out for today over at Hoopball Gaming. Those guys are kicking ass. You can listen to the podcast. It's called Today in Sports Betting, or you can just follow at Hoopball Gaming to get a lot of their thoughts, our layup line, which is part of the Hoopball Premium Package, is where you can get their best bets. Uh, and I believe that actually ends today. I think the layup line ends today because you're you're into the playoffs now. I think. I don't know. I might be wrong on that one. So again, that's mybookie.ag. Promo code is Hoopball. It's only 45 bucks minimum to open up an account. Just start putting $5 on things. We'll, we'll very slowly. It's so much fun to have 5 bucks on a thing. You end up caring way more than you think. Join us. It's a blast. I promise. Do I really need to go over the games that happened yesterday? Is there is there a point? All right, we'll do it really fast. We'll mostly just focus on the, the most interesting things. 
Washington, most interesting thing is that Thomas Bryant played really, really well during this resumption, and he has rehabilitated his fantasy value. I, I don't know that, unless they sign someone, I don't see anybody overtaking him for that center spot, even when this team gets healthy. He certainly won't be taking 15 shots a game, but the minutes are there. His body looked good. He held up, um, and he becomes a much more interesting fantasy prospect. Sacramento, they beat the Lakers in a game where the Kings played some starters, and the Lakers really didn't. LeBron logged 14 minutes in the first half, and that was pretty much it for anybody of note on the Lakers side. AD, Kuzma, KCP, Caruso all sat this game out. Buddy Heald had 28 as he makes a case to still be on that team next year. Nemanja Bielica, two rebounds away from a triple-double. The Voodoo Doll is undefeated. And Bogdan Bogdanovich took 23 shots, as we figured he would in this ballgame. He posted 27, 6, and 9. And for him, he just needs one of two things to happen for his value. He looked really good in these resumption games outside of a couple of, of slow shooting nights. And the issue is De'Aaron Fox is going to be in his way for the, the premier usage guy. And then Buddy Heald, who he had supplanted by the end of the season. But what happens to them during the offseason? Other interesting notes from yesterday's ball games: Memphis beat the Milwaukee B squad. Jonas Valanciunas triple-doubled, as did John Morant. One of them, I could guess who, was a good triple-double. The other one was uh, kind of an ugly one with no threes, no steals, no blocks, six turnovers, and 29% shooting. Whoopsies. Dallas only played their guys for a couple of minutes, and even that was a lot because Porzingis sat it out. Phoenix beat them for that eighth win in a row. On the Phoenix side... Look, I think, you know, it's impossible not to notice that uh, Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson both played very well, but it's also impossible to forget that Kelly Oubre was out for these seeding games, and most likely he checks back in, and he probably takes Cam Johnson's stuff. But we do have to be aware that that becomes a little bit of a logjam because they're going to want to get Johnson, Cam Johnson, into the lineup next year. Seems like they like him. We'll also keep track of who is and who's not on this team going forward. But look, they liked what they had here. This plus Ubre is a lot of fun for them. Bridges actually got outplayed by Cam Johnson during certain stretches of these seeding games. And so as you look towards next year, whenever the hell it turns out to be now, you have to be aware that those three guys are going to be probably fighting for the same general stuff, along with, at times, Dario Saric who will log a few minutes at power forward while also backing up DeAndre Ayton at center. Uh, Utah beat San Antonio, but this one didn't mean very much, so nothing really to take away from that one. Portland, a wild one, beat Brooklyn 134-133 to wrap up that eight seed. Dame was, uh, well, if not for James Harden, basically the the player of the play-in. Dame ended up at number two. Uh, we knew he was going to be a monster, and he was everything and more. Hassan Whiteside actually had a nice game in 15 minutes off the bench, but for this team, it has been Nurk. Uh, Mello was slowed in this one. C.J. McCollum and Gary Trent Jr., who deserves a look as we uh, head towards next year. That's, I think, something you can pull away from the Blazers on the seeding side. For Brooklyn, um, you know, they're going to be a totally different team next year, so who cares? New Orleans and Orlando. Uh, Orlando was missing a bunch of guys. New Orleans was missing a bunch of guys. Nothing to learn from that as well. All right, let's go through a little exercise here. Just just like 10 minutes since we don't know exactly what's going on with these playoffs so far. But the exercise is this. Let's assume, let's assume for argument's sake, 
that the Blazers beat the Grizzlies in one out of their two upcoming seed, uh, play-in matchups. Okay? That's a fair, that's a fair uh, guess, right? I, I think if the way these two teams are playing right now, I think you've got to believe that the Blazers are going to come away with it. So just work your way through the playoff schedule understanding what the brackets look like, and make your playoff bracket. That has to be the first step. I haven't thought this through, okay? So this is an unofficial thing that's about to happen. We're just going to do it together on a podcast because things can still change. If the Blazers actually lose two in a row to the Grizzlies, that's still a possibility. Uh, lots of things we might learn about different injury stuff that that pops up or pops down. So this is unofficial. I have not made a real playoff bracket yet, but let's do a, a, a guess bracket on this podcast, and then we'll talk about how that relates to if you want to be in a, a playoff league. So we'll just start with 1-8 and work our way down the board. The Lakers would then, in this hypothetical, play the Blazers in the first round of the playoffs. I know a lot of folks are saying that Lakers might lose that series. Yeah, anybody might do anything. Ultimately, I think they do overcome Portland because the Blazers can't guard anyone. They cannot guard anybody right now. For as fun as they've been, and they've been extraordinarily fun, the Grizzlies, or excuse me, the Blazers putting up 134 points in each of their last two games against the Nets team that wasn't guarding them, a Mavericks team that wasn't guarding them, a Sixers team that was down Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And then they had lost to the Clippers in the game before that. They beat the Nuggets, who were shorthanded. The, the Blazers' win over the Rockets, I think, was probably uh, their only really impressive win of this play-in situation. They looked good in that one. But look at, the, look at what's been going on in these games. The, uh, the Blazers, in overtime, gave up 135 to a Grizzlies team that really wasn't playing well offensively. Gave up 128 to the Celtics. Only 102 to the Rockets. I still can't fully figure that one out. 115 to the Nuggets down their entire starting lineup in that ballgame. Uh, Clippers put up 122. Sixers, without their two best players, put up 121. The Blazers need to figure out how to stop someone because things are going to get a little bit different in the playoffs. I think they're going to give the Lakers a good fight because Dame is incredible. He's incredible. One of the most fun guys to root for in the NBA. But ultimately, I think the Lakers win that series. And I think since you don't really have to worry about home court, you're not looking at the, you know, where is the home game? Where is the road game? Um, Let's say, what do we think? Five, six games? Call it six. Say the Lakers win that one in six games. So Lakers in six in the first round. <clears throat> the Clippers playing the Mavs. Clippers have shown themselves to be a lot better than Dallas. That's a really tough matchup for the Mavericks because the Clippers have two guys they can throw on Doncic. If you slow down Luka, the Mavs aren't winning. Simple as that. They're just, there isn't enough other ways for them to initiate their offense. So give me Clippers and five. Nuggets and... Uh, who are we looking at in the six seed right now? Nuggets Jazz is the... Ugh, the 3-6 matchup. Um, I'm going to give this one to the Nuggets in six. And Thunder Rockets, I'm going to go Rockets in five or six. I guess it depends on whether Russ is playing. We'll go Rockets in six. Let's assume Russ misses a game or two. And uh, Thunder have Chris Paul, who's very good in the fourth quarter. They'll find a way to win a couple of those games. Okay. After that, the Lakers would have the Rockets in the next round. I'm still going to put the Lakers getting by, but that, one, that one's going to take all seven. 
Clippers and Nuggets. Clippers are going to win that one handily. We'll go Clippers in five. Nuggets are going to get one. And then finally, you got Lakers, Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. I'm going to go Clippers in uh, in six. I don't even think that one goes seven right now. They're, they're just better than the Lakers as of this moment. But, you know, things can change. So, again, this is like we're just throwing it together haphazardly. Eastern Conference now. The Bucks, yeah, Bucks are going to sweep the Magic. Bucks in four. Uh, Raptors. Um, we know Toronto's issues in the first games of playoff series, so we're going to go Raptors in five. They're going to bounce back, and then they're going to take care of business. Brooklyn's going to steal one somewhere in there. Boston is going to handle Philadelphia because Philadelphia is a bit cut down to their nubs, but Philly, I think, does get a game, so I'll go Boston in five. And finally, Indiana and Miami. This is going to be an interesting one. Uh, from a firepower standpoint, I think you have to argue that Indiana looks like the better team there, but Miami has... I think Miami, Miami has the toughness factor, so I'm going to go Miami in seven for that that four or five matchup. The next round of the Eastern Conference, the Bucks and the Heat. I'm going to go Bucks in six. I think Miami gets a couple. I contemplated Bucks in five. I think people are giving Adebayo more credit than he deserves in, in terms of what he can do on Giannis. Giannis is just unstoppable. And Raptors and Celtics, that's a really good one. I'm going to go Raptors in seven. I think that one's going the distance. That one's going the distance. And finally, uh, the Bucks and the Raptors going head-to-head in the finals. I'm going to give it to the Bucks, but I think that one's going a full seven also. And finally, the ultimate finals, Clippers beat the Bucks in six. Okay. Now, your next job is to add up how many games you had every team playing. So Lakers, they had six in the first round. Uh, seven in the second round, and six in the third round when they were losing to the Clippers. So that's 19 games for L.A. The Clippers, I'm just going to do this in order of how every team is ranked right now. The Clippers had five in the first round, five in the second round, six and six. So five, five, six, six is 22 games for the Clips. The Nuggets in the Western Conference here, they had six in the first round, and then they lost to the Clippers in five. So 11 games for the Nugs. The uh, Rockets in the first round, they won in six and then lost in seven to the Lakers. So that's 13 for the Rockets. And then everybody else in the Western Conference here, you're looking at eliminated in the first round. So that, uh, that gets a lot simpler, I guess, from that standpoint. So the Thunder, they lost in six games. The Jazz lost in six games. The Mavs lost in five games. And the Blazers lost in six games. So that's your Western Conference game total. Out East, and this is interesting because this is where different sort of pastry matchups make make a big difference. And, you know, a lot of our stuff in the Western Conference, we have those first rounds going a bit deeper. Uh, The Bucs, four games in the first round, six in the second round, gets them to ten. Seven in the third round, and then six in the finals. That puts the Bucks at 23 games because their last three rounds go 6-7-6, six, six, and that racks up a whole bunch of stuff. For the Clippers, remember, we have them with a couple of fivers, and so that's why they only had 22 despite going the same distance as the Bucks. The Raptors, they had five games in the first round, which, again, that's sort of hamstringing. Uh, seven, however, in each of the next two rounds, so they end up with 19, same as the Lakers in our uh, descriptor here. The Celtics, I don't know why I've been writing, on as I've been doing this, I've been typing it down, and for some reason the one, I've been writing the team name for everybody except for the Celtics. They, I wrote them in as Boston, 
I can't figure that one out. I'm going to change it because now it's it's weirding me out. Come on, Bespris, get it together. Uh, the Celtics, they won their first-round matchup in five, but then lost their next one in seven. So they had 12 games, and then finally the Heat, they won. They beat Indy in seven, uh, then lost to the Bucks in six. So they had 13, and then everybody else was eliminated in the first round. So the Pacers, they went seven in the first round. The Sixers went uh, just five. The Nets went five, and the Magic went four. This is important because now we have the totals for each of these, our, our, our weird predictive analysis here on how many games the teams are playing. So your next logical step is trying to decide how that impacts who you're drafting, right? So there are a couple of obvious ones. If you think teams are making the Western Conference or Eastern Conference finals, those teams are going to get a very large, significant bump because not only are they going... Uh, three or four rounds deep, those are probably going to be the longer, more difficult rounds. Our Western Conference Finals, we have going six games. Our Eastern Conference Finals, we have going seven games. So there's a lot of extra stuff on the line there. And then the finals, of course, we have going seven in this, or six in this guess. And so those two teams get another massive boost. So not only are the extra rounds a big deal, but it almost ramps up in value. Because in the early rounds, the really good teams are probably going to make uh, waste of their opponent a little bit quicker. We have Clippers handling their opponents in five in each of the first two rounds. The Bucks, the Raptors, the Celtics, those are either four or five game series in the first round. And then as you go farther and deeper, the rounds get longer. Thus, those teams knocked out in the first round, it's kind of the opposite side of it. Magic, Nets, Sixers, Mavs, we have them going only five games, at least the Blazers, the Pacers, and the Thunder, we have six or seven out of those guys. But you are making really hard decisions in playoff leagues based on who you think is going the farthest. So with this in mind, and we're not going to make an actual draft board here, just grab at some of the biggest names and see what that means. LeBron, Anthony Davis, Big boost because we think the Lakers are going at least to the Western Conference Finals. Kawhi, Paul George, big boosts. Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe, a bunch of Raptors with 19 games. Lowry, Freddie Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam. And the thing that's most interesting about all of this is once you get through some of those big names, because you'll see those guys come off the board pretty darn early, and then you might even see... You know, like James Harden, if we have him playing 13 games, he won't go that much beyond some of those names, simply because 13 games out of Harden is still just a massive lift. But the way that you really maximize things is those hard calls where you're like, look, you know, we're through the superstars that are playing at least 12, 13 games or, you know, double that. Of course, teams that have an early pick in this, they're going to have a big advantage because they're going to be able to get you know, uh, Anthony Davis or, or Kawhi or Giannis or uh, whoever we're talking about on these teams, and they're going to get probably 15 to 23 games out of those guys, where by the time you get towards the end of the first round, you know, if you have the 10th, 11th, 12th pick, you're now making a debate between, okay, well, you know, do I want to go Chris Middleton, who we think is going to play 23 games, or... Do I want to go James Harden, who we think is going to play 13? What if the Bucks get beat by the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals? Things flip pretty quickly if they lose seven games all of a sudden. Then guys on the Raptors become 
very valuable. So there are a ton of split-second decisions you're going to have to make based on how far you think these teams are going. Now, that's why you create your bracket. Spend some time on it more than we did on this podcast, just sort of quickly guessing and building something that would make sense as a rough framework. Really spend a minute figuring out who is in your, how far these teams are going. If you get the brackets wrong, you're going to have a hard time winning your playoff league. It's not impossible, but it will be a tough time because at some point, you're going to be looking at a decision where you're like, well, you know, what if James Harden goes a third round? He's easily then the number one guy. Would I ever consider passing up on Harden because I really only think he's going 12, 13 games and instead going for a lower tier guy on one of these teams we think is going 23? Like, would you take Eric Bledsoe over James Harden in this league? 23 games of a top 75 guy versus 13 games of the number one guy? I mean, you probably still go Harden, right? But it becomes a discussion point. 23 is a lot more than 13. An extra 10 games? Could he make up the difference in an extra 10 games? I sure hope so. There aren't that many great examples of this type of thing that you can go to during the regular season. Because there's, you know, guys either played a lot or they didn't. You know, like uh, Yusuf Nurkic playing eight games um, as the number seven guy versus, ah, oh, crud. Who do we even look at? Who who played who played 20 games this year? Kyrie? <laughs> but he's, he's right up there at the top also. You need... You need basically a situation where somebody went double the games of the other guy and was ranked like six rounds lower. That's the, that's the example we need. So Cat played 35 games. He was the number five guy. Uh, what about like the number 70-ish guy who played... OG Ananobi played 69 games at, uh, at number 70. And so the totals on those dudes, and, and this is interesting... Ananobi was number 44 by totals, and Towns was number 72. So I get it. It's a little bit different because Harden is a lot better than Towns. But that's an example of a situation where the number 70 guy played double the games of the number 5 guy and actually passed him in totals. If you're in a roto league in the regular season, that doesn't necessarily mean... Ananobi was the better guy to have on your fantasy team because he also used up another 34 of your games cap. In a playoff league, you don't have a games cap. You're just rolling these guys out there until they get eliminated. And so totals are the only thing that matters. So yes, if you're comparing James Harden to Eric Bledsoe and one has 10 more games than the other, you're still going James Harden. But it's not always that cut and dry as you look at someone who, say, isn't the number one player overall. Russell Westbrook, if let's say he plays in the playoffs and he goes 12 or 13 games, versus uh, OG Ananobi, versus someone even lower than that. Uh, what if you're stacking him up against, um, like, a Marcus Gasol or, uh, like, a Lou Williams on the Clippers? Or, I mean... The examples are, are you got to get a little bit weird here, but this is and this is what I'm talking about. Take the Sixers now as a point of comparison. Joel Embiid is probably going to be a top 10 guy in the playoffs, but he's probably only going to get five, maybe six games out of the playoffs. If you're debating between 
Lou Williams, who's probably going to go 15 to 23 games, or Joel Embiid, who's probably going five, you probably go Lou Williams there. Because now you're talking about three or four times as many games. And there's just no way that Embiid could keep up. Think of it as a best-case scenario for Embiid. A best-case scenario. Look at his season averages. 23, 12, and 3 with a steal and a little over a block a game. Five of those is quite good. Let's make it even better. Let's, make, let's give him 25 and 12 in his, uh, his, his counting stuff. Because there's no Ben Simmons. So you can ratchet up a little bit. Let's say he's scoring 25 points a game. It's 125 points, uh, 60 rebounds, 15 assists, 5 steals, and 7.5 and or 8 blocks. Lou Williams in 20 games would have to only average. I mean, I think about this. What are the numbers we just came up with, Embiid? 125 points. 20 games for Lou Williams to get 125 points. He's averaged six points a game. Six and change. Okay, fine. In 20 games, Lou Williams might not get 60 rebounds. But even still, he'd only have to average three a game. Would he get 15 assists in 20 games? Hell yeah, he would. Five steals? Yes. Seven and a half blocks. Actually, he might not hit that number in 20 games. Free throw impact. Higher. Well, does your league have turnovers? Who cares? You actually probably want to lose turnovers because you want the most games humanly possible. It's a weird thing to think about, right? But right now, in a playoff league, Lou Williams goes in front of Joel Embiid. He goes in front of Kristaps Porzingis who's probably only playing five games. There's some gray area. You know, if you think the Thunder win their first-round matchup, you know, those, those like, Jazz Nuggets. I could see the Nuggets beating the Jazz, or I could see the Jazz beating the Nuggets. Neither one of those teams looks all that great to me. Those are going to be the hardest decisions you make, I think. The ones we're talking about right now are actually not that hard. They're just crazy. So keep this all in mind as you're looking through this stuff. As you're building your playoff league roster, sometimes, and this was a story I told a few days back, sometimes it's better to have the clunko going 20 games. A clunko going 20 games can have a lot of impact versus someone really good only going five or six. Would you rather have Dante DiVincenzo going 20 games or Joel Embiid going five? Probably DiVincenzo. Okay. These decisions are easier to make with the teams that don't have the, the massive superstars. But what about like uh, Damian Lillard, who is just one of the best players in the bubble? Blazers, probably going to lose in the first round. Six games out of Dame actually doesn't help you that much. Of course, he could put up 300 points in those six games. So it's a little bit different than some of the other stuff. But you catch my meaning. There are going to be guys out there available going 12, 15, 18 games, we think that are going to be falling too far because everybody wants to grab the names they've heard of. But you need totals. You want to lap up the superstars on teams you think are going a long way. And then you probably want to look at the next tier down on those teams also. Have some fun with it, guys. Uh, obviously, you can't really get these going until after you know who's coming out of the West, which is going to make it damn hard to do playoff leagues because there's going to be, what, like a day where everybody would have to do their drafts in between the play-in games ending and the actual playoffs starting, if that, the Eastern Conference might start the next day. 
The West might start the next day, just not the 1-8 matchup. I don't think there will be that many playoff leagues this year. Unfortunately, they are quite fun, but um, most of the time you have a a good idea of who's going to be where before the season ends. And even when you don't, you usually have Thursday and Friday off between the regular season and the playoffs starting to get these leagues going. I don't even know if you're going to have a full 24 hours this year. Have a lovely weekend, everybody. Uh, oh, by the way, get a lawnmower at manscaped.com. Almost forgot to tell you. Coupon code there is hoopball20. Can't believe I almost forgot. The playoffs are coming, and you should look your best. Groom yourself at manscaped.com. Clean your back up, for goodness sake, you hairy monster. Coupon code hoopball20. 20% off, free shipping. Get one now. Keep making us look good for our sponsors. Drop a five-star review on the pod. Big thank you to Adam King for coming on yesterday's show. We'll have Brandon Marcus first thing next week, and then we'll probably talk to Brew towards the middle or end of the week about the playoffs because they'll be going by that point. Let's do some in-game wagering, everybody. Let's have some fun over at MyBookie as well. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.